Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. It's lovely being here tonight. Um, my, for those who don't know me, I'm Tim. I was just there before, but I'm now here without a guitar in front of me. Uh, thankfully, I'm not speaking tonight. I have a really, for you guys, thankfully for you guys, um, I have a very special privilege of in a moment introducing a friend of mine, Dale Campbell of Tear Fund, who's going to come and share with us. Um, but before that, I'm going to read a scripture. So bear with me. We could go, should we go hardcore and stand for the word of yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do it. Okay. Well, let's stand. Let's stand for the reading of, of, of Scripture. There we go. So this is uh, from Luke 10, 25 to 37, uh, from the ESV translation, which I used to read a lot when I tried to be reformed. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. I tried hard. No, okay, for the text. Okay, to the text. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took up two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, perfect. Why don't we sit? What do you usually say at the end of that when when there's a public? Thanks be to God. Yeah, there we go. That's cool. It's liturgical. Well, so Dale's going to be exploring that scripture. So why don't we give him a big, big uh, enthusiastic round of applause as he comes forward. And um, as you'll hear from, as you'll hear from soon, Dale is American, which is great. Because um, yeah, there, really? it's a mixed bag. It's um, no, what, one of the treats, along with tremendous content, is a really con- authentic accent. So, um, uh, as a Kiwi, as a Kiwi who has delved into preaching before, I've always wished I had an American accent because it sounds so much more legitimate. Like, yeah. like. It's so much more inspiring. We got to follow Jesus rather than, guys, why don't we try and follow Jesus? So, so like, we're in for a treat. Um, good luck. Is it like... Okay. <laughs> awesome. No, you're going to pray. So Dale's going to pray, so I don't I want... Okay, cool. I'll just make sure this is on. Yeah, sweet. I should pray for you, shouldn't I? Well, you've already prayed yeah, once okay. or twice. Yeah, cool. Yeah, just enjoy. 
Tim and I um, had coffee somewhere around the Northgate region, like 2019, yeah. something like that. And I won't get him in trouble for saying how long our coffee went. But we had like this massive bro chat, right? Like a bromance, you know, that started there, dropping theologians' names, you know, probably about an hour and a half later we left. And so he said that tonight I could talk for the same amount of time. <laughs> so hopefully, no, no. That's all good. I, I would love to pray how to start. Cool. Father God, um, grateful for church, grateful for this particular church that has uh, a real a real vision of the gospel, a real big vision of a big gospel, and that wants to actually influence its community and look after people in need, for example, with the food bank. And I just want to pray that that ministry would flourish under this fresh leadership, um, that this community would increasingly be known above what already is as a light, as a blessing to this community, to the neighborhood. I'm so grateful to be able to gather together to hear the scriptures and to worship you. What a privilege it is, especially in a crazy world. So bless us tonight. Um, Lord, if there's something that I say that needs to be forgotten, may that be the case. Um, if, if, if there's something that you would dare to say through my words, uh, may that also be the case, and may that be what's remembered. Um, we pray this in the, in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Cool. Yeah, just before I go, I, I just, I just, it's cool just looking at all these cool people and just thinking about the future of the church. And I think with folks like Vic and Tim, um, we're in good hands, you know, leading us. You know, we're going to go forward with what I think are two key ingredients, the conviction there's some things we just can't lose, resurrection-shaped faith, and also compassion, you know? And I think the church of the future is going to be both of those, you know? Always has been, really. Um, but, yeah, great to know Tim. Um, also, Calvin. I've caught up with Calvin back in the day. We've had a few coffees. He's a great guy. Loves Shore Vineyard. Uh, Jules is also an intern at Tear Fund, so you can ask her all about modern slavery, because we've just been working on a script for that. It's coming out soon. Um, but, yeah, great to be here. Love, love this church. I had a great time this morning, so... Love to share with you um, some thoughts around my fa- one of my favorite passages in Scripture, the Good Samaritan story. So, shall we start? I've, um, obviously, I've tried to adjust this message to fit with your series. I love I love the series that you're in, um, looking at these journeys. Um, I, you know, roads lead from one place to another, from here to there, um, and it's about transformation. It's about change, and that's what God does. He changes our hearts, he changes um, our societies, he changes the world. And I just think that's really cool, right? So I've worked to, uh, to do that. And I thought I'd just first talk about my road. There's obviously no road from Missouri to Aotearoa. But um, I actually went through Hong Kong, um, through Thailand, then Sydney, and then uh, that was the flight <laughs> as I came over. Interesting journey. Uh, more than 30 hours in, you know, airplanes and um, airports. So that was fun. But yeah, that journey, as I've stayed, it's been one relocation, but there's been lots of adaptations. Um, I've had, you can imagine what it would be like for a good Republican Southern Baptist to come to this beautiful land of, with, with perhaps a different take on politics. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Don't want to judge. 
but uh, but it's been you know there's been a lots of changes, many adaptations. I'd had to learn that you know you, when you're re- referring to the the thing that you put your stuff in in your car, it's not a trunk, it's a boot. Mm-hmm. I've had to learn a new language, right? And in terms of cultural, you know, like in the states, it's pretty simple. Our geography, we have us and the rest of the world, y'all. <laughs> And as long as y'all are cool, that's what we're cool with you, you know. But in New Zealand, you guys really have this beautiful bicultural and multicultural vibe going on that that the rest of the world needs, I think. So that's been really good. Some of these adaptations have been really good for me, is what I'm saying. So that's a little bit about me. Uh, So tonight we've got one epic passage, and I think I've identified at least three roads that we can observe in that, that move from this to this. So let's dig in. The first one that I've identified is the road from answers to action. As the great prophet Morpheus <laughs> says, there's a difference between walking the path and knowing the path and walking the path to Neo. And in Christian theology, we use this language of orthodoxy and orthopraxy, right praise or right worship. And then right action. And obviously, clearly, both are important. This is the way it plays out in this passage. So you've got this lawyer interested in lawyer-type things, law things, wanting to test Jesus, goes up to him and says, give me the right answer about what it's all about. How do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus, being a good, wise rabbi, wants this lawyer to own the answer for himself. So he doesn't answer the question for him. He answers with a question. What do you think? You tell me. And so he gives this great answer from Deuteronomy and from Leviticus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus affirms, yep, you have got the correct answer. Conversation could have been over at this point. But Jesus is not only interested in correct answers. Because he says... You've answered correctly, but do this. Do this, and you will live. And of course, he goes on to answer another question with a story. And then at the very end of this passage, we see Jesus reinforce just how important actions are. He says, you go and do this. And so Jesus wants us to not only be people of answers, of orthodoxy, of knowing the path, but he wants us to be people of action. And I think that is the future for the church. Another example of this is that the lawyer, being a lawyer, hello, little thing that keeps the batteries in. Action. Click. Okay. Felt weird. Okay. So the lawyer is interested in legal definitions, right? Between this and that. These people are my neighbor. These people are not. Okay. And Jesus wants him to get to practical action. And so he says, you know, well, sure, I've given the right answer. Yeah, do this and you will live. But, but Jesus, who is my neighbor? Where can I get off the hook? Where's the line that I suddenly step across into not neighbor land? So Jesus actually, in his wisdom, flips the whole thing around with the story. And at the end of the passage, he says he's changed the question. See the difference there? The lawyer is asking, who is my neighbor? And Jesus is asking, which one was a neighbor? 
So wherever you go, you are a neighbor. That's pretty cool. Isn't Jesus wise? Like the wisest person that ever lived. Jesus. God in human skin. Wisdom on two legs. It's brilliant. I love this. So that's the first road. And it leads me to think, you know, are my answers backed up with action? I love a good argument. I love a good explanation, a good mansplaining. Right? I love it, you know. Let's talk ideas. Let's talk about theology, philosophy. But, you know, if it's not back with action, right? Just a, what does 1 Corinthians says? A noisy gong or a clanging cymbal without love, without action. So just take a couple moments and just think about that for yourself. Where's the action? Because that's the future for the church. The second road that I've identified goes from religion to compassion. And I'm very keen to point out with, with this framework that I'm offering tonight, I'm not saying that this is bad and we've got to go to this, which is good. Answers are good. Religion is good. I'm quite proud of the Christian religion. I think it's a beautiful faith, actually. I think it's beautiful and true. But it is beautiful and true because it is active. It, is, it, it, lends, it goes towards compassion. So this is the second road. I want to tell you a little story of this, this road, how it plays out, has played out in Lebanon. Some of you will know that in Syria, for a long time, at least 10 years, has not been a great place to live, leading to what we call the Syrian refugee crisis. Now imagine if you were a Lebanese Christian, and you were just going about your life, and then gradually large numbers of Syrian refugees, most of them who are Muslim, start wandering across the border into your farms, into your streets, into your communities. There would be two responses for you if you were a Lebanese Christian. One would be, these Syrians used to get involved in our country in ways that we didn't like years ago, so we're not really eager to help them. Wish you well. Carry on past. The other response would be, we have the gospel. We're Christian and they are Muslim. They don't, so let's convert them. And so, some of these churches in their efforts to help the Muslims, maybe we're kind of putting Bible studies and Christian things first and then aid and practical assistance on a lesser level, right? And there came a point where they, they realized, some of these churches realized that they needed to care for these neighbors regardless of who they were and regardless of whether or not they became Christians. It turns out to be that that is actually the standard of international development practice and aid practice. And it's also probably what I believe the Bible would call us to, to love without condition. And you know what happened? You didn't hear this on the news. But some of these refugees started to see dreams and visions of Jesus and came to faith. It's beautiful. There's a tragic and beautiful story of one mother who is leaving her home in a hurry with her kids, including a small baby. And I mean, just, I'm, I'm sorry, it's so horrible. But imagine carrying your baby and your baby gets shot as you're leaving. 
and the pain of taking her kids into a new uncertain place with leaving her husband up behind, baby just shot in her arms. And she goes and she finds hospitality, she finds care, and she finds eventually, in the most beautiful, natural way, on the back of love, she finds faith. And so our CEO, a year and a half ago, showed us a picture of her with her kids, smiling, and her radiating joy from her face. She now leads a Bible study with other women that have taken on faith. That's what God's up to. There's, there's like a mini revival in Lebanon. It won't make the news, but it is what God's up to when we move from religion to compassion. So here's how it plays out in the passage. Jesus tells a story about the Samaritan. And uh, the, first of all, this victim. And he has this horrible thing happen to him. And the priest and Levite, they've got Jerusalem on their mind. They've got worship. They've got religion on their mind. They're a bit too busy with Christian stuff or religious stuff, right? And so they pass by on the other side. They are not interruptible. They're busy. And Jesus is more interested in the compassion of a Samaritan. And I don't know how... There's one way that I can try to tell you how shocking it is that Jesus makes a Samaritan the hero of the story. Many of you will know that Samaritans were not liked. I actually attended a few years ago a discussion with a Jewish New Testament scholar. I won't go into the detail of who she is. She's not a believer, but she is a New Testament scholar who happens to be Jewish. And so she said that in a modern-day context, we might say that, you know, the, the priest is a, a worship leader. The, the Levite's a worship leader, and a priest might be a pastor or something, right? And the Samaritan might be a member of Hamas, a terrorist organization. Right? That's how shocking it would be. Someone that's just way outside the pale. Right? Jesus makes them the hero of the story. But not just because he's a Samaritan, but because he had compassion. And I love the word. I got Tim to, to read from any translation that had the word compassion instead of pity. Because that word compassion is just so important. It literally means to suffer with So unlike the busy religious Levite and the priest, the Samaritan had the compassion that was willing to enter into the suffering of this victim. And the victim is just a human being. We don't know the, all we really know is the gender because it says men, but we don't know the ethnicity, the religion, the age, just, 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 just a human being made in God's image. The Samaritan enters into that story has compassion. And it's worth just observing the way that the painful way that Jesus describes what has happened to this human being. I don't know about you, but I've never been robbed, stripped, beaten, and left for dead. That's never happened to me. That's extreme, crazy suffering. That kind of suffering deserves someone to kind of come to your aid, right? And that's the kind of response that we're supposed to have. And so it makes me think, well, do I get stuck kind of on religion? Or am I prepared to enter into, am I, am I interruptible? Does that lead, does my religion lead to compassion? The third road, and I really want you to hear this one, is from doing 
to partnering. Here's how it plays out in the passage. At the beginning of the passage, the Samaritan is literally doing everything he can with everything that he's got. Some people believe that the Samaritan, because there was vineyards and, and, and there was stuff for oil and wine in the area, right? They think he might have been an oil and wine salesman. Who knows? But he had oil. He had wine. He had stuff that he could use for bandages. He had an animal. He, had, he knew that there was an inn not far away, right? And so with everything that he had, he's active. And this is okay because no one else was going to do anything, and this person was utterly dependent on his aid. Okay, And sometimes doing is the best and right thing. To, be act, to have that compassion be active and to do it yourself because no one else is. No one else can, right? Other times, however, doing can cause intentional harm. And I want to show you just a few examples of how this can be. And this is some of the stuff that I've learned since I've started working for Tier Fund, right? Obviously, people in poverty need the most needed things, right? Not things that they don't need. So a quick pro tip if there's ever a cyclone in Fiji, they don't need your chandeliers. They don't need your skis, right? They don't need your leftover stuff that you're trying to put in the rubbish tip, right? There's been stories where people have sent, sent containers of unneeded things that have just gotten the way of the needed things. Um, so it's horrible, right? It's also harmful when we travel over and we actually just kind of are in the way and the people that could be helping where needed are just really trying to help us and make us comfortable. Um, those are, that's an obvious way. Another way is, is where, I mean, it's, this is almost a cliche in the development world where a well is dug, it's dug without any consultation or training around local you know, knowing how to maintain the well. And so the well, instead of becoming, you know, we, we leave and we go away and we say, well, hey, we, we gave fresh drinking water to this community, hooray for us. But the well breaks and degrades and it, if it still provides water at all, it's not clean water, it's actually disease infested water, it's toxic, right? This happens so often. And it, another way is where we, we make someone's well-being dependent on our continued purchase of their products, or our travel to go help and do stuff, they're effectively dependent on us. Now, now clearly, poverty involves giving, right? But I'm going to talk a little bit about the best way to give. Because we do need to give. We need to pray. We need to act. But what's the best way to do that? Okay? So, and in the real subtle harm is whenever you might go in with a solution. I have education. Mm-hmm. I have skills. You don't. I know the way you don't. So we are going to sort you out on using my plan according to my knowledge and my skills and my resources. Mm-hmm. And they actually call this in the literature a God complex, uh, an assumption of superiority. And that is damaging. Because people, people in poverty don't actually define their own poverty in material terms. They use words like shame inferiority, right? And so if we help them in a way that just reinforces that inferiority, we're really harming them, okay? 
Another way is whenever we leave the causes of that poverty unaddressed and we just have ambulances at the bottom of the cliff and not fences at the top of the cliff. So those are just a few quick basic points around development and, and how helping and doing can cause harm. And look at, what, look at the passage now. Having seen that, let's go back to the passage and just honestly worship Jesus for how wise he is, right? Check this out. The Samaritan has been so involved, doing everything. And then once he gets to the end, look at the power shift. The Samaritan simply says, here's some money. I'm invested. I'm interested. But I'm not a savior. I'm off to work. You look after him. And you know, I'll I'll come back because I'm still interested and I'm still invested. I've got more money. I'm in this. But it's not me. And I find it interesting to think about what the innkeeper, and the innkeeper probably still had an inn to run. So maybe the innkeeper was able to hire someone else to do the same. I don't know. But it's like levels of partnership, right? It's involving, it's not the Samaritan doing it all himself. It's, it, the Samaritan has brought this victim into a community of transformation, a community of restoration. And the best approaches to poverty alleviation are communal and relational. So does my doing give way to partnering? Do I have to do it all myself? And COVID-19 has shown us that we actually need local partners to address poverty because we actually literally cannot go. All of Tear Fund's partners are local and expert and Christian doing their work in Jesus' name. So does my doing give way to partnering? Tonight, we do have a table out there, and feel, please don't feel any awkwardness about just coming to have a chat. Um, love to talk to you, and if you're interested, we, we, can, we can give you some ways to partner with us. But I just want to r- run you quickly through our work. We have four broad causes. One is modern slavery. There are more slaves today than there ever have been, because there's more ways to enslave people than there ever have been. Um, more detail we could go on there. But our, our partners look at what happens to a victim after tra- trafficking. And we try to a- address the causes of trafficking as well. Secondly, we uh, work with disasters and conflict. I've already talked about Syrian refugees. There's Rohingya refugees, storms, crises, earthquakes, etc. We have a whole network of partners, an alliance of partners that we can act through and find out who's the best person to respond Christian doing this in Jesus' name. Thirdly, farming and enterprise. Uh, this is about empowering people to help themselves and be lifted out of poverty. And one of my favorite slogans of our partners is the, the slogan of food for hungry. Um, they say, we're proud of the countries that we've entered and we're proud of the countries that we've left because we're no longer needed. Project done. These people are no longer dependent on us. Brilliant. Fourth cause is child development. And I'm very keen. You know, this, this is one where we can't imagine ourselves as the great sponsor, the great savior, rescuing a child. And I'm very keen for us to see it in more communal terms. Because guess what? The monthly donation doesn't go to the child. It doesn't even go to the parents. It goes to a community. Okay? And the change is not just for that child. Sure, you get to write a letter and encourage that child, and that actually does make a difference. Absolutely. 
But the change spills over to the family, to the community, and even the whole country at times. So it's a beautiful cause. Right, and I want to say, right from the beginning, Tear Fund has never needed to use guilt to ask for funds. Do you know why? Because Christians always care. Christians always have cared and been generous. And so it's really like, like when it happened in the 70s, it was just Christians aware of what was happening in the world, seeing it on the news and wanting to give. And a group of churches called the Evangelical Alliance started to give money. And they said, well, where's, what are we going to do with all this money? Let's create a fund. And let's channel that money to expert partners overseas. And that's where we get Tear Fund, the Evangelical Alliance Relief Fund. Right? It's just channeling compassion in a strategic way, in Jesus' name. Okay? So we don't actually have to use guilt. Uh, we just would love to partner with you. So I invite you to ask yourself, where are you at on this road? Um, you might like to take some literature away and think tonight. You might already know, I've been wanting to do this. I'm ready to pick a number between 1 and 100 you know, and say, I'll donate to this cause, this much to this cause each month. You might know you're ready to sponsor a child. You, you might need some time to think about that. No pressure. We're here to partner as you want. And the language that we use is that we invite you to pray and learn and act and to give. Because we're not interested in sort of token gifts. We want our supporters to be informed, and to be doing this from a Christian faith with, with, with holistic motiva- motivations. So that's, we're here to channel your compassion. We needed most. I'd like to pray as I begin, as I finish, and uh, and then I'll let you guys hang out and have some pizza. Hey, cool. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful for Scripture. We're grateful for a very wise Savior and a very beautiful gospel. Make us into your people. Continue to shape and challenge and form us. Teach us how to be people of compassion in this community, in this country, and around the world. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.